0: welcome to breaking down bits a conversation about great comedy bits with the comedians who wrote and performed
1: them hey welcome to breaking down bits i'm brian gendron
2: i'm drew jordan and we we're pumped to keep the uh, the podcast rocking here in season three. Um, so many fun things going on with breaking down bits, uh, including some you know some new partnership stuff that Brian and I are doing together through some shows, booking and performing with some of the previous guests on breaking down bits. Uh, the online feedla- feedback mic every Tuesday night. Uh, things are going well, and we appreciate you being a part of it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I can make one big announcement, Drew. This is brand new, hot off the press, just just got the contract signed. Last night, we're going to be working with Sam Talent, uh, of course, Breaking Down Bits podcast guest and author of the incredible book, Running the Light. He'll be joining us here in Houston on Saturday, March 5th, two shows on the riot. So that's exciting. And then, of course, Drew, uh, next weekend, it's coming right up. We're going to be working with another podcast guest, Ian Lara, who will be uh, will be meeting up in Lafayette and doing a show at the Worst Beer Garden on March 12th. So that's Friday, March 12th in Lafayette, if you're out in Louisiana. And then March 13th, Ian Lara's doing two shows at The Riot with us here in Houston, Texas. Uh, so check us out at theriothtx.com. Uh, go look at lafayettecomedy.com for tickets over that way. And uh, just a lot of cool things happening with these collaborative project that's why you collaborate comics remind
2: remind me the date on sam talent though i think you said the wrong date what's the date on sam talent
1: uh june 5th
2: june 5th okay there it is june sam talent you said march i was like that's i think that's today today. right yeah i don't think i'm gonna make that one
1: yeah (laughs) so that is june 5th and, uh, and you mentioned it too, drew, you talked about our feedback, mic. we will, we had to go on hiatus this past Tuesday, but I have committed to being there and hopefully you will too this Tuesday, 9. PM Eastern time as we are most Tuesdays. And if you'd like to join our feedback, mic with comics all over the world, you can email us at breakingdownbits at gmail.com and just ask for a spot on any, any given Tuesday
2: yeah it's a great feedback mike a lot of great um a lot of great writers in there uh we try to get a couple new writers and it's just a great place to get some feedback on your writing punch up some jokes and also just yeah because of the wide birth of where everyone is you can get feedback and get takes on your jokes from people maybe in the states overseas around the world very very cool
1: absolutely so a great place to meet new people as well and and the comedy scenes across the globe. So, breaking down bits at gmail.com Tuesday evenings, 9 p.m. Eastern. All right. And then getting back to our last episode with Willie Mack. What a great discussion yeah. we have with um, him, Al- yeah. LA comedian. Uh, what was your callback from our discussion with, with Willie? Uh, yeah, great, great episode. A little looser,
2: a little more loose than we typically are, which has turned out to be a great thing. But I think the big stuff for me is collaborate. Um, the idea about writing short films instead of just Instagram, uh, and TikTok kind of short, short form stuff to actually get in there, write us, write a script, do short films, put it into a, to a contest. It's a, it's a great way to get your name out there and be seen as a writer and not just a TikTok or Instagrammer. Um, yeah. And level up, level up those jokes.
1: Yeah, he talked about uh, submitting uh, films to the film festival and getting in the film festival circuit. So I, I, I was like, Drew, are you hearing this stuff? Uh, and and yeah. not unlike our guest Jessica Watkins a few weeks ago, who, who had won an award by, by doing that with her, her, her Uh So uh, her comedy walkumentary. Uh, so, so my takeaway with Willie uh, was if that this is a writing prompt, right? If that's true, then what else is true? so it takes you it allows you to take your writing into this space you you've entered them into maybe this absurd space and then there therein lies more comedy so what else is there and how can you layer on to that comedy really nice prompt if 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 you're you're trying to think about how can i expand my sets do longer sets headline that type of stuff so uh great episode check it out breakingdownbits.com is where you can access it of course also on apple google spotify Hi, heart radio pandora all the things and then you can watch the video content on youtube but breaking is where you can get to all of it ready to get started on the show drew yeah let's do it let us bring in our guest chris
0: turner's quotable gags
1: and rapid freestyle raps have
0: established him as one of the most in-demand acts on the corporate circuit and at comedy clubs around the world He's based in Los Angeles, where he regularly performs at the world-famous Comedy and Magic Club. His keen wit and intelligent wordplay have seen him rack up over 25 million views on YouTube. Headline for one million Dutch comedy fans on The Comedy Factor appear live on BBC Radio 2 and 6 Music and perform sold-out runs at festivals worldwide.
3: hey chris turner how are you man oh i'm very well thank you what a what a lovely video introduction for anyone who's listening on the podcast they didn't get to see my journey from 19 year old with (laughs) orthodontic appliances to who i am now um hello thank you thank you brian thank you drew thank you everyone watching and listening
1: I did notice you were pretty young on that first video. That's yeah, yeah, that was
3: about a year in. That was that was very, wow. very fun. Very, very scary gig back when I was all deadpan because I was too scared on stage. Uh-huh.
2: Yeah, talk about a difference in your performance from from where it is now to where it was there, just a totally yeah. different strategy.
3: Well, don't you think that that most comedians, once they've been doing it long enough, kind of graduate towards Uh, their real self on stage you know when you first start you 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 can't be naked on stage and show everyone who you really are so you put on this kind of protective outfit or character um saying character is kind of wrong because it wasn't like acting but now I'm like, oh, no, I I can just be me on stage. And that's much more pleasant for me and, I think, for the audience. Although there's always people who go, oh, why don't you do
4: deadpan stuff anymore? Because <laughs>
3: like, I find that tedious and so did audiences. I mean, also, like, imagine doing deadpan comedy, you know, in your kind of five minute, ten minute audition spot. If If you're good, like, it works when they're like hey can you open the show you're like cool 25 minutes of deadpan comedy this will be <laughs> this will be a trial and i asked another deadpan comedian who'd switched to not deadpan and he was like oh it took me three years to work this out let me give you the advice you can't open a show deadpan unless you're stephen wright and i was like oh great so stopped it and suddenly <laughs> my career flourished so yeah hello nice. me as me not me as the sad yeah. dour deadpan boy
2: <laughs> well i think we uh, we we talk a lot about how I think a lot of people do when you first get into comedy you're kind of just chasing your idols you're you're trying mm-hmm. to impersonate the people that you respect the most so it takes yeah. a while to before you even know how to do comedy like you you're just doing what you're mimicking and just following what you love
3: yeah definitely definitely I mean my my kind of the first stand-up I watched was Jimmy Carr and Ricky Gervais so not that I was then impersonating them but Right. The Jimmy Carr joke writing definitely made me be like, oh, cool, just smart little jokes, and Ricky Gervais kind of, I don't know, I don't think had any influence. I, you know, didn't walk <laughs> on stage and say abhorrent things about people, but then, uh, you know,
1: oh, on I cheeky? <laughs> <laughs> It's it's finding your voice, finding your point of view. And you said you started at 18. You don't really have much of a point of view or boy. You're only eighteen. You're only 18. You haven't really lived a lot of life, or most people haven't. I don't know about your particular
3: circumstances. <laughs> no, I've, I've lived no life. Every time America's <laughs> Got Talent get in touch with me, they're like, hey, we'd love to have you on the show. I'm like, cool. Tell me what you think my story is. They're like, because you're British and you rap. And I'm like, no, but what's the story? I've had... No difficulties in life. Everything has been very smooth sailing, and I'm very grateful for that. Uh, even at the expense of not having, you know, a sub story that will wrench the hearts of millions.
1: You right. Know. Well, you, you yeah, know, that, it out. comedy comedy is is certainly one way to find adversity. It's not easy, <laughs> as, you, as you can imagine. Uh, so, tell us about the early going, man. You, you know, nineteen, doing the deadpan stuff. Uh, how, 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 tell us about the struggle. <laughs> there was no struggle. I,
3: yeah. I, I I'm very fortunate. So for anyone who can't tell through my voice, I am a uh, a, a white British man, uh, which immediately makes everything so much simpler. And I was I was I started university. I went to Oxford University, which was you know very wonderful for me. Um, I joined the Oxford Imps, the Oxford University kind of improv group, because I saw them perform at Freshers Week, Welcome Week, as you guys would call it, and. Um, I thought, wow, that looks incredible fun. So I auditioned. I got in. Once I got in, they're like, hey, 110 people auditioned. We've taken six of you. So you guys are funny. And I thought I'd never done any improv before. I'd done, you know, summer school acting where you know you'd write a play, and my plays were always funny. And at, at high school, I'd always written the school assemblies that we had to give, and they were sketches, and I'd you know made like fun little videos, but. I I didn't think of myself as a a comedian or wanting to be a comedian because I didn't, I think even now people understand that comedian is a career. I think in the late to, well, in the early two thousands to the mid two thousands, which when I was a teenager, no one, no one told me that being a comedian was a thing that you could do, especially my parents didn't. They've been incredibly (laughs) supportive throughout the whole thing, but they've, you know, they weren't like, Oh, you think you're funny, be a comedian. Uh, I was like, I'm going to be a lawyer. And they said, good. Yeah, that's a that's a great thing. Um, I should point out my parents aren't, you know, in careers that are like that they're, you know, a hydrotherapist and my dad's a recruitment consultant. Um, So it was kind of like, hey, elevate yourself up to this station, you know, the first person to go to university, which is super cool. But I I joined the improv group, and I, I loved it. I remember, after three months of being in the group, we did our first international show. For me the group had been existing for six or seven years before then and still going it's you know 17 years strong and has turned out a lot of much more um known and successful comedians than me at least in the uk um also weirdly one of the graduates of that group um was the fa- one of the founders of the tea party and i i never knew uh when she was in the imps but people who did said it was really galling to see her, because she was very funny, use her improv skills to manipulate people to be like, yeah, tea party. And if we kind of look at the tea party as the reason that kind of MAGA exists now, it's like, oh, she was responsible for that. And she used <laughs> improv skills. So when people say, but how is improv translatable? Well, if you want to eventually incite an insurrection,
2: do improv. <laughs>
3: so, I'm improvising every night uh, at every Monday at this club to like a hundred people, a hundred students. We do our first international show in Utrecht in Amsterdam. And it blows my mind because every time you do a joke that they like, they shower you with fake roses. And I'm on stage doing a joke and then these roses fall down on you. And that gives you a completely unrealistic idea of what comedy is. After, (laughs) After maybe six months of doing improv, and being on stage, I, I thought this is really fun. And I think someone told me, I tell this as a joke on stage rarely, but it did happen. Um, one of the group says, you should give stand-up a try. And I thought, oh yeah, cause I'm like funny. And they say, yeah, but also cause you're quite selfish as an improviser. And I think that would let you get it out of your system. Like if you could get on stage and just be you then you'd be a better improviser which I think is definitely true. And now, although my improv that I still perform is selfish when it needs to be. That's only in the context of a group that I perform who know that I am uh, liable to go on and just start entertaining the audience and they'll then come on and just heckle me. Um, So I started doing stand-up. I felt confident and felt comfortable on stage by virtue of getting on stage. And because I'd been performing for students and specifically Oxford students, the comedy that flourishes in that environment and i don't know if this is a familiar experience for people performing in mainly college towns it tends to be a bit more highbrow a bit more intellectual um our improv group was a not a clean group but we always just had the rule like hey if you can make them laugh without swearing like do that so i was kind of, i wasn't dirty and my jokes that i wrote just tended to be more like I mean, I got a review in my first year that says uh, some of his jokes are more clever than they are funny. And I, being an idiot, was like, great, that's exactly what I want, because I'm well clever, so that means they must be, you know, how could they be funnier than I am clever? Uh, and I used to do a bit about that, saying that joke is more clever than it is funny, more aha than haha, and all this dumb stuff. Um, but just started doing these deadpan one-liners. First gig was fun, uh, it was an open mic, um, i open opened that you'd signed up for in advance. It was the day after Michael Jackson died. So I, I knew everyone was gonna be writing Michael Jackson jokes. So I just thought, this is my opener. And I wrote my opener like on the day and then madly had to go and prep it because it, it was like a prop bit. I just walk up to the mic and I say, hey, we've had a lot of Michael Jackson jokes. I love Michael Jackson. I grew up listening to his music. I grew up dancing to the songs with my dad he means a lot to me. I'm not going to besmirch his memory by making any Michael Jackson jokes tonight. And people kind of like, oh yeah, okay, cool. And then I take my hand out my pocket to get the mic out the stand and I'm wearing yes. one white glove.
1: <laughs> I, think,
3: I think I got that white glove from a beauty parlor. Like It was like a, a, a silk glove you're meant to rub your face with to increase circulation. So that was, that was fun. Like, why do you want one glove? Michael Jackson joke. So I did that. The set went fine. I remember I ended it by saying, hey, if you guys are nice to me, Throughout this whole set, I'll give you some sweets. And at the end of it, I like gave sweets to the audience, which like is a dumb thing to do, but also they liked me. <laughs> so <laughs> give people candy. Um, second gig was a few months later at the Edinburgh Festival. Just did a spot um, at a show. Went worse than the first one, but still not badly. Third one, five minutes at a proper comedy club. Um, these are all in the UK, by the way. Absolute Disaster two minutes of jokes that they tolerated. I mean, this isn't a, a drunk audience on a Friday night, two minutes of jokes they tolerated. And I'm in between pro acts, so I you can tell I suck. And I'm wearing orange trousers, because again, I, I used to walk on stage and be like, you guys are thinking those trousers, pants, those pants look dumb. Um, what I'm thinking is you guys missed out on a bargain in the closing down sale at Guantanamo.
4: <laughs> <laughs> like that, that was a good joke actually, especially for that
3: crowd. But then after two minutes, I did a joke, And I remember the joke because a man threatened to beat me up for it afterwards. Um, And I just, I was like, hey, my my grandma passed away recently. And that's uh, really upsetting because that means I'm going to be £10 down at Christmas. I should clarify £10 is money. So um, I... (laughs) The joke being that she sent me £10 every Christmas, which is a common thing in the UK, uh, and that was why I was sad. And the crowd just were, were like, boo. And one guy <laughs> one guy in the crowd started it, and afterwards he threatened me. He was like, I just lost my grandma. That's not something you should joke about. Which, the number of times in my career, someone's come up to me after a gig and threatened me for a joke just because – and my jokes aren't offensive. Um, maybe back then more so, but, like, I, I do a joke that's um, – my brother has asperger's so if you give him a rubik's cube it takes him 10 seconds uh, to say thank you and I, I love that as a joke but I, I i did that joke um and at the end of the show this it was a show with 12 people sat in one row above a curry house like the, the 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 organizer had taken away all seats it was just one long front row and this guy came up to me and he was like you were mocking my son that entire set i said i beg your pardon he goes my son's autistic and every every joke uh was like mocking to him i said I, I only think i did one joke about aspergers and i you know that's that's a personal joke for me he's like he's like yeah that's that's why i'm not going to punch you right now cuz you know what it's like to have someone in your family to have aspergers so one thing uh the kid got all the jokes like he was getting the jokes before the rest of the audience Two, the dad did not get any of the jokes. And I could see he was laughing with a face like thunder. Three, <laughs> I'm very lucky because I do not have a sibling with Asperger's. That's just a joke <laughs> I made up because I used to work with kids with Asperger's. And you can't say, hey, I work with this kid with Asperger's. You, you that's not right, morally wrong to like talk about someone real. So I was like, oh, I'll make up this person. Um, so, yeah, that third gig, this guy threatened me. But after that second minute joke, it was just silence, and I, I was like, "Well, I've been given five minutes. I've got to do five minutes." Advice to new comics: You don't have to do your time. You can get off stage. I've been, I was emceeing a show where this act just bombed, and they would do it. Men do fifteen minutes, and after about four minutes, they just went, "This isn't going great. I'm, I'm going to get off and let you have some funnier comics on." And the audience were just like, "Oh, thank you, yeah!" Like they were so gracious <laughs> for that. And as comics, we were there going, "Hey." that sucked but also that was an amazing thing you did thank you because we were there going they're going to run this show into the ground for another 10 minutes like it was it's such a good mm. thing to do if you just hand your time back to the show no booker is actually going to think less of you for that um, if it's bombing from the start it's pretty hard to turn around unless you do the whole <laughs> kind of hey let me get off and come back on again and by then you have to be pretty good to turn it around i will say um,
1: make sure you spot the host make sure the host is somewhere near the stage though so you can get you know recovered yeah Yeah,
3: that's true yeah (laughs) um uh, and so i just do my remainder of the five minutes and they're just silent no one is making any noise because they're just so upset with me and they've all kind of bonded together and i do my final joke my closer at the time was because it was three years before i started rapping in my shows my closer was i went to the doctor and i said i've got this um swelling that keeps appearing between my testicles and my anus and it it comes. It comes back every every year. Just repeats itself. What's the deal with that? And he says, "Oh, sounds like a, a perennial disease, right?" Based on the wordplay of perennial to do with the perineum and perennial yeah. flourishing once every year. And yeah. like that was a joke that I'd close like my first and second gig with, and both time it had done fine, even though what like new comics love talking about genitals and things why are you conjuring up this image of a perineum that's disgusting i know people here call it a gooch or a taint or whatever (laughs) um, so it wouldn't work over here definitely uh and the guy who'd booed me halfway through when i finished that joke no one laughed he just said because i left space for them to laugh thinking they're going to get back on board and he just shouted tumbleweed (laughs) and i walked off stage into the green room with all these pro comics and none of them spoke to me which is a dick move. They, sh- you sh- One of them could have just gone. Could have just gone. Hey, like I know you're new. You're gonna have bad gigs. Keep it up. And I did keep yeah. it up, but it just took me in three months before I did another gig. And I, I do believe that many new comics, the only reason they persist, because so many people almost give up after their first or second gig. The ones mm. who persist are so arrogant. Because I, I reviewed that gig myself. I gave myself five out of ten, <laughs> and I said the oh, the audience were bad. so I just thought yeah it's not me it's them and I think you have to have that foolhardiness that you know yeah blockheadedness, to kind of carry on um I did I did take a gap I don't remember any of my fourth fifth sixth seventh gigs one of them was with a a a great comedian and he watched my set and I went hey do you have any advice and he just went yeah beef it up and I said what do you mean (laughs) he said oh I don't I'm not I'm not you figure it out and so for the next (laughs) five months I was just like What does beef it up mean? And literally I started lifting weights thinking, oh, he means get hench because then I'll be more intimidating on stage. And that didn't help. Uh, And I was just tired all the time. So I think in the end what he meant was just like, yeah, write more jokes. So I wrote more jokes and then did all right. Um, Yeah, that first year was only, I only did about 20 gigs in my first year because I was at university and that was why it was easy for me. I had no, I wasn't working another job and getting out at night. I was doing a degree. And I had a student loan, so I wasn't I wasn't struggling for money. I wasn't having to work for a job. We got a student loan that pays for everything. Um, And I my first three years of stand up were my first were my three years of university. So the whole time I had this cushion of one, my mind was engaged constantly. Oxford, you're writing two and a half essays a week. It's it's super super hardcore and intense. It's an eight week term, three times a year. So less than half the year you're studying. (laughs) <laughs> um it's this real hyper intensive burst and because of that my brain was constantly thinking of like smart stuff so my jokes would come out as these little kind of intelligent bon mots um which is french for good words and <laughs> i so i never had to think about writing jokes i never sat down they'd just appear i'd put them i'd write them down i'd tweet them this back when i used twitter before you know like 2010 11, when then everyone kept stealing jokes from Twitter. So I'd find out that like bigger comedians were using joke, jokes that I, I know people say he stole my joke. Like, but no, like they were at, like, it was like, no, that wording is exactly the same as I came up with. And that's not a joke you would have written separately. Yeah. Um, so I stopped doing that. And when I graduated, I'd already had an agent and he said, you should be a comedian. And I, I thought, really? And yeah, I, I won't I won't take money from you until you're earning money as a comedian. he's like you have to be making a living before I'm taking my 15%. In the UK, you have one agent who also is your manager. They take 15, not 10. And so because of him, and he's still my agent today, and he was one of my groomsmen at my wedding, and I, we talk pretty much every day, He he's the guy that took me from the path of being a lawyer to being a stand-up comedian. So... uh thank you. Thank you, Sean, for doing that. He's a, he's a good lad. I have monologued so long, so I apologize for boring everyone. Hopefully you've just been listening going, what a lovely accent. That's that's delicious.
1: Ah, that's a good is start. It, yeah.
2: Now, is it typical for someone to do like Edinburgh and stuff like that so early in your career? Yeah. You said that was one of your first or second gigs. Is that normal?
3: Well, so Edim- Edinburgh was, um, so the Imps went up every year to do Edinburgh. Oh, um,
2: gotcha. Okay, it wasn't like your stand-up show. It was part no, of part no, of that no. thing. You so,
3: were... I but that meant that that first year I was in Edinburgh doing the Imps <clears> and <throat> then it was a one of the performers had a show, so that was why I did a spot there. But just a one-off. Gotcha. And then the gotcha. next year, I st- I started doing split bills. So what you do quite often in in the UK is you will share an hour with two other comics. So I started doing, you know, twenty minutes with other acts. And you know, I think Edinburgh is a great. It, it bloods you because. There might be five people in the audience there might be 60 people in the audience but they might you know only speak chinese it's a super (laughs) touristy place um i never developed my physical comedy in those situations i should have i was very much wordplay i was like if anyone here does not have a great grasp of english i am bombing um (laughs) that's that's why like i loved gigging in norway and and holland because the english there is amazing and then you do a gig in france and their english is amazing but not. Like, they didn't grow up with English comedy. They grew up with French comedy, which, like, my wife speaks French. She's, uh, she grew up in France. She tells me that French comedy is hilarious. I, I don't get it. But <laughs> uh, people in Norway, they watch Monty Python, so they get British comedy because we're kind right. of all descended from those comedy gods. Um, but Edinburgh, yeah, I've done 12 Edinburgh's now. Uh, I mean, I went to Edinburgh before I even discovered comedy. I was in Edinburgh acting in two plays for one year. I then went back and performed in a house band in a cafe on the 3 to 5 a.m. slot because we were so bad. By bad, I mean, like, we made noise music. Um, we would scare people out. So the in Edinburgh... They would use a, you strategically to get yeah. people out of rooms. Yeah, like, we blew <laughs> bass amps frequently. Um, and... Because it was a BYOB, you didn't have to buy booze there. They didn't have a license. People would bring their own drinks. So after three, the guy's not making money. Everyone's just drinking their own drinks. So he would just clear people out with us. And at the time, (laughs) what an honor. Like Comedians don't want to walk a room. As a noise artist... Uh, which As I know it you're doing then. it right. If yeah. I could walk a room, that's fantastic. Yeah, real great. So what? So yeah, did Edinburgh repeatedly ever since then stepping up like four of you share an hour, three of you share an hour, two of you share an hour, and then you go and you do your hour, um and then you, after that it's weird because you think how am I ever going to write another hour if you just work like every year after then I went back with a new hour of stand up like they would only have ten minutes of freestyle rap in really at all, um, and. Yeah, I've I've always tried to write a new hour every year. This year, I've slipped a bit because I just don't you don't have any gigs to look forward to, right? Um, so I kind of I've I overlapped two hours in the last year, but now I am still working on the hour because there wasn't Edinburgh last year, there isn't Edinburgh this year, really. The year before, I couldn't leave America to go to Edinburgh because I was getting my green card, so I've been working on the same hour for Edinburgh. But in the meantime, writing extra hours that just generate material that I'll you know use at some point. Um, yeah. Edinburgh is amazing. Just understand that it's really, really, really hard to get an audience. It's so hard yeah. to get an audience, and i, so I was lucky the... by virtue of starting early, so I could build up—not build up an audience, but an understanding of how to get an audience—is more important.
2: Right. So, how, so how how do you eventually make the jump over to the states and, and and getting into the LA scene and the Comedy Magic Club and all that? What, yeah. was, the, what was that? What took that? What made that transition possible?
3: So, may, so I, I, I moved here. 2017 um and i'd say the the two or three years prior to that i was just be i was very comfortable i was kind of resting on my laurels not that i had any laurels the climate (laughs) in the uk it's you need a mediterranean climate for that but i i was doing a new hour every year in edinburgh but outside of that i wasn't doing that many clubs in the uk because I was doing a lot of corporate work and I'm very fortunate that because of my improv background and then because of my freestyle, it's super adaptable to any audience. And I kind of, I I joke about it. And it's definitely quite arrogant to be like, it was rare that I would not have a good corporate. Like I've had some disastrous corporates, but like in terms of the strike rate, like it was, it was rare. So I, I, and I'm not known, no one knows who I am. I'm not famous. Therefore I'm not expensive. So I was the most expensive unknown person because I would rarely let you down. Like one corporate that went terribly was I did this one for this investment bank and it was, you know, a post the housing market crash I mean, you know, wait, no later than that. But anyway, it was a bad year and they didn't tell me, I, I always make uh, a point and I'd, I'd recommend this to anyone. If you start doing corporates, ask who they had last time. And mm. if, if they're really famous, you need to acknowledge that. Because I did this gig and I was doing 20 minutes and it just sucked the whole way through. People ignored me. Pe- they didn't even give me a chance, but they I didn't do anything to get their attention. And at the end of it, I went to the organizer and they said, oh, I thought this might happen this way. Everyone's just in a mood because, you know, usually we have Michael McIntyre. And Michael McIntyre, unknown in America, the biggest comic in the UK. Like, <laughs> just humor, and at the time, so famous, like, prime time show every every week people saw this guy and he's he's brilliant he's a genius he's so good um and this year they couldn't afford him so they hired me <laughs> no way like michael mcintyre i'm not observational i'm not great or well, I wasn't then great with a crowd working with them and riffing on that and i just thought why didn't you tell me and she's like oh i didn't want to make you nervous i'm like no because if i had walked on and gone i know michael mcintyre last year now me you guys need to work harder. Um,
4: like yeah. now,
3: because that's the most important thing. Like when I gig at the cellar in New York, I, I'm i very fortunate that I get put on at the end because the way that they run a show is, you know, the MC is high energy, gregarious person, like someone like Artie Foucault, who can like like get the whole audience like super hyped up. Um, then, you know, the, the show has to like wave and rise and fall in energy. Uh, and it builds, right, to like, the end. You want like the kind of the the heavy hitter. So like you're ending with like Dave Tell, who's just like riffing off everything and killing it. Um, and then when I started gigging there, they're like, "Oh, we'll put you on at the end because that energy, right? It brings the energy in the room, which is like one of the reasons in the UK I I did quite well quite quickly getting to clothes shows because when they put it on in the middle, which is traditionally the newer spot, it it would kind of raise the energy so that people would get to the headline and be like, "Oh, but this isn't a higher energy than that one." And it would kind of like set it off balance, even with opening. Like, yeah, you'd think it would like get everyone hyped up for the show. Um, Back then, like I asked my agent, I was like, should I be freestyling at the start of the show? It kind of feels like it wrecks the energy. And he was like, you should should be doing your best set every time you're on stage. Fuck everyone else. They have to follow you. (laughs) Make like a good act can follow that and then you know over the years you see how people follow that it's it's fun for me to have someone go on after me and see what they say about what i've done um, and so at the cellar i go on at the end but that means you're going on after Michelle Wolf or Sarah Silverman or these incredible comedians that everyone knows and have just crushed and i walk on and so like my sta- i just developed a standard opener for that which is you walk on and everyone kind of goes clap 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 wait who and I go, I know, I also wish I was a famous comedian. <laughs> and you get that. Everyone goes, oh, he he, igno- he said what we were thinking, which is what every opener should be, right? Always say what the audience are thinking, which is why it's so common to say, I know what you're thinking. You don't need to say that. that. That ruins your joke. Just walk on. And be and be like you know, oh boy, Robert De Niro had a one night stand with Meryl Streep. Um, much better than saying <laughs> I know what you're thinking. Don't do those jokes, obviously. But um, yeah, I that's my advice for corporates. So I i had been doing corporates for so long, and I was making good corporate money, and I just started being quite lazy in terms of I don't want to go do gigs. Why would I go to London take you know a whole evening to go and do a spot? a new material night for no money or even why would I go like one of the things that's hard about being a comic is you, your schedule schedule apologies um, means that (laughs) you can't see your friends. People say, Hey, we're going to have dinner on Friday. (laughs) And you say, "Uh, I could do Tuesday, maybe Tuesday, (laughs) Tuesday is quiet. Yeah. Yeah. They're all like, no. So I would take every opportunity I got to to take the weekends off. Now the weekends is where the shows are, it's the big shows. And I'm not saying I was like flooded with requests to be on. And increasingly as you do fewer and fewer people like, oh, is he, does he do? Does he gig anymore? If you're gigging in the corporate circuit, no one really knows about that. Um, and I, I, I'm very glad I did that. I had like three very chill years and I still got to be creative every year at Edinburgh, but it meant I got to spend time with my then girlfriend and now wife. I, I got to spend time with my friends and I value that. But there came a point where I thought, oh, this is a bit lazy. This isn't going to, you don't push a career forwards by just doing corporates, right? Maybe on the corporate circuit, you make good money, but corporates <clears> aren't fun. They're pretty soul destroying. I always enjoyed them because, cool, nice hotel, free champagne, brilliant. Um, although I did do a gig where they said, hey, um, order whatever you want to the room. And it was me and a cabaret group called Four Puffs and a Piano, which is their name. So that's, you know, don't cancel me. Um, and we're just backstage at this gig. And the, the guy who runs that group is like, well, champagne. And so we just ordered so much champagne and we drank so much that after the gig, we got invoiced by the producer saying, you guys ordered too much champagne. <laughs> Admittedly, we did. We got smashed on champagne and we took quite a lot of champagne home. But it said, order anything you want to the room. So clarify, clarify, you fools. Um, I, was le- I was led astray by, by that group. Um, but
4: I, I just thought, nah.
3: I wanna I wanna get I wanna get st- stand-up y again. Um I miss being around comics, I miss doing these shows. So it'd always been a dream to live in a different place. I only ever lived in the UK, I didn't really move out of Manchester where I was born until I was nineteen. And so we looked at America. I'd I'd had some, you know, kind of attention of my like my my the stand-up video that you showed at the start, which was me being deadpan, like that had been kind of circulating on YouTube every now and again, and I had some people over there say, hey, you're funny, have you ever thought about gigging in the States? So I had some contacts, went over, started, you know, getting enough gigs booked that I could then get a visa, because you have to get evidence of work before you can get the visa, moved over, um, my wife is American as well, so she she could be here, and then I got the green card when I married her as well, but, you know, I had my visa for three years anyway, and just thought, right, I'm just going to get back into the scene. Now, the error there was, assuming that my standing in the UK, which, again, was not renowned but was reliable, um, would translate. You move to America, you're like, hey, here are all the clubs I headline. Here's all the companies I've worked for. And everyone's like, yeah, we can fit you on in three Mondays for three minutes. Is that okay? Um, (laughs) And so it took a while to get into some clubs. And I'd say the only club I truly got into in LA Um, And now I'm currently in Colorado. We left LA in the pandemic because LA was horrible and we're fortunate enough to be able to kind of, you know, come and stay here in the snow. Um, And I I think, I don't think we'll go back to LA. I think we'll go to New York after this because as soon as I started gigging at the Cellar, I don't think there's a place you'd rather be. That community there, just being able to gig with Sam Morel, being able to gig, like to to go on with Attel and have to like follow him, i'm just like oh like in in a two-week run there made me a much better comic (laughs) the the comedy magic club is the best the best club after the seller and that's no disrespect to the comedy magic club um just that's the best club on the west coast seller's best club on the east coast in my opinion um but yeah the the comedy magic club was the the only place i really got into in la um i my my manager just said hey i've got you a seven minute tryout spot and I did it and it, it went like a dream. It went perfectly um, in comparison to my first tryout spot at The Cellar where one of the comedians at the Comedy and Magic Club was there watching and I came off and I was like, oh, good to see you. And he went, how do you think that went? And I, I said, uh, yeah, not great. Like six and a half out of ten? And he said, mm, five. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I was like, yeah, you're probably fair. So the Comedy and Magic Club, I did that tryout spot and the owner I think was I think they said come back tomorrow night and do another spot on the Friday and the owner just came to watch and he was just he just saw me he told the booker yeah put Chris on whenever he wants at the end of every show and because the comedy and magic club is a showcase club it, you know the weekend shows are 10 comics doing 7 minutes each and those comics will be great like you'll have huge 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 comics there but you also have people that no one's ever heard of you also have magicians and jugglers it's Mm -hmm. a real variety show this club's been around since 77 78 um the crowds 250 people every night you can do two shows in a night there it's lovely um and i just went there every night every night just doing it and hanging out and meeting comics and having fun and being on the same stage as all these greats uh was so cool and that was kind of you know I, I st- they tape everything, so suddenly I had recordings of all my my raps in really high quality. Started uploading nice. those to YouTube, and that led to YouTube taking off. Um, but yeah, it's the comedy magic club. It was just that one break there that got me it, because you know the number of times I was like, oh, maybe I should go audition at the comedy store, and then you realize, well, I don't know, I have it pretty good. I mean, again, I, I settled <laughs> into a kind of lazy pattern. I was like, I can go and do. Two or three shows a night at the Comedy and Magic Club, whenever I want. I'm going to do that, even yeah. though it's a much longer drive. I, there was great food, great drinks, great people. The, the people who work there are amazing. Um, I miss I miss them all a lot. Um, and then from then, comedians would be like, "Hey, I'm driving back up to LA. Do you want to ride?" Because again, I didn't have a car at the time. Um, I'd take Ubers down to the Comedy and Magic Club. So I, you know, they pay they pay well compared to other clubs, but it would still be a wash with the Ubers. comics are driving me back in and like um bt kingsley amazing comic is like hey i'm going to the comedy union do you want to come like oh what's that he's like oh it's right near where you live it's a black club like oh okay go there get up on stage he's like hey you have to put chris on go and play this black comedy club uh have an audience that are thoroughly confused why i'm there uh start rapping have a great time Start doing more shows there. Uh, I never, never did as many shows there as I, I liked because it was always like you had to stay up to like 1130. Like they were late shows and I like my sleep. <laughs> <laughs> how did
2: the, the, the hip hop and the, and the rapping kind of make its way into your act? Because obviously from that video at the beginning, yeah. it was, there was no rapping in the deadpan act. Mm-hmm, so how, no. where did that come from? And how did you inject it into your act?
3: So the the various stages of the story are, I started rapping when I was about 12 years old, but purely as fun. Um, I I went to a private all-boys school with two black guys in my year. One of them um, was called Galid, and he used to... Burn CDs. He'd download the tracks illegally from Kazar and LimeWire. So you'd say to him, "Hey, good old days, yeah, oh yeah." <laughs> for like for like one pound, so back then two dollars, um he'd give you any album you wanted, and like, mm. so I'd say, "Hey, give me the new Nirvana, not the new. Give, give me In Utero by Nirvana," and he'd give me it, and he goes, "Oh, it was only forty-five minutes long, so I filled up the rest of the track with a uh, music I like." And it would be,
2: that's great you
3: know, so it would be eminem and dr dre and snoop Dogg. and cool. then the next album i got i'm like hey get me you know i'm not going to say i'm super cool with but i was like hey get me limp biscuit or whatever <laughs> and he'd fill it up the remainder with chris rock and dave chappelle routines he's like oh these are some stand-ups i like so i kind of credit him with a getting me into hip-hop and b getting me into american stand-up um not that i was you know when i was 19 doing stand-up i was like yeah i'm gonna do my chris rock bit um, <laughs> but all my you know everyone i knew at that school was into rock and i like i'm i'm, I'm into rock and very heavy music uh, as well and people are kind of surprised about that I, I messaged a guy who runs a, a noise record label the other day because uh I, I wanted to get some effects pedals and he was like oh wait <clears throat> i know you from youtube like yeah he's like do you make harsh noise I was like, no, I'm, I'm, you know, I just, it's a hobby. I like to make weird music. Um, maybe I'll let you know. So you know, maybe I'll have a harsh noise record out soon, which uh, uh, don't listen harsh to. Harsh so
2: noise. Just, that's 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 a unique uh, <laughs> yeah.
3: sounding genre. Harsh yeah, well, noise. It's kind of one step below harsh noise wall, which is just white noise. I, I at least try and have some drones and atmosphere and musicality in my, uh, my shitty fumblings around amplified <laughs> instruments. But uh i i got these records and i started listening but yeah all my friends were into into rock music so i didn't have anyone to talk to so i was listening to these rap records thinking i for some reason i thought that when eminem is rapping he is making it up i thought that rap is not rhythmical lyrical delivery over a beat rap is improvising rhythmic lyrical delivery And so I'm listening to it and I'm like, okay, I can see how Snoop could improvise these things. But then you listen to Eminem and you're like, that's so fast and so funny. How can someone be that good? And as a a very arrogant guy who thought I was very intelligent and, you know, when you're kind of brought up in these educational systems, your teachers tell you they're like, you guys are in the top two percent of the country. This mark means you're in the top point five percent. And you're like, yeah, that's what I want to be. i i thought well you know if if this guy can do it i can do it so i started you know making up raps over the beats and my mum would confiscate the records and then i'd get (laughs) i'd have to get some more and i do whole routines about like my mum's opinion of the music i was listening to which are pretty much you know verbatim true uh so i started rapping had nowhere to perform uh i'd just do it as a joke for my friends i was in the boy scouts we went on hikes They'd say, hey, Chris, tell a story or do a rap, and I'd just improvise a story or improvise a rap, do a song about the things we were seeing, do a song about you know the guys we were walking with. Um, fast forward to university, realize through short form improv that I'm like, watching Whose Line Is It Anyway and Wayne Brady Ooh. going, this guy's making up these raps. This, this is incredible. That's what Ooh. I do. Start doing it in shows. We have workshops about improvised music, get some feedback that, like, I'm quite good at improvising these lyrics. I'm not a good singer, but, like, I can make up the lyrics. And, you know, if you're a bad singer, but you want to do musical improv, just do villain songs, because all you have to do is let me tell you my evil plan. I'm a very (laughs) very evil man. You know, you don't have to have any lyrical ability um, or any melodic ability, I should say. So start doing that uh in improv but not in my stand-up until about three years later at the edinburgh festival i started a show called triple a batteries not included which still runs which is a kids friendly comedy show but all that means is our material is clean like we try to entertain the adults it's on at 3 p.m every day triple a Batteries not included because that puts it at the front of the program so everyone to opens the page oh a free comedy show for families i'll go to that and like very quickly we moved to like 150 seat venues um and, and would just do really well because you take donations at the end, right? I I would MC those shows because I wanted to get better at MCing, and that's another thing for Edinburgh. It's good to take you out of your comfort zone. So I I would just do crowd work with these kids. And one thing I noticed was kids would always have their soft toys with them, their cuddly animals. So I'd get I'd I'd find one with a dinosaur. This was the lead into the bit. You'd go, Oh, what's that? And they'd go, This is my pterodactyl, Terry the pterodactyl. I love dinosaurs. And you go, Oh, anyone else got dinosaurs? And you'd get some more. Uh, You'd get one on stage and you go, Oh, we need four more. And we've got the Jurassic Five. And you'd get like a laugh from some dad (laughs) somewhere. And I'd go, Tell you what, guys. these are going to rap. And then I'd just rap from the perspective of these dinosaurs. The kids loved it because it was me being like, sup, my name's
4: Terry. I'm very, very scary. Uh, and the adults would be like, this is pretty
3: funny, actually. That's pretty dumb what he's doing up there. Uh, and one of the acts was dating a comedy critic. And the critic came to the show. And I don't think they thought I was particular. Like, their website had reviewed me quite nicely in my first year or two when I was doing all these competitions. I don't think they thought I was very good, this, this critic. Um, and they said they said to their the person they were dating, "Oh, what Chris was doing was pretty good. He should do that in his set." And so they tell me, and I thought, uh, I don't know, it seems gimmicky to be a comedian who freestyles, which I still contend it is. <laughs> this <laughs> is the time when I'm doing one liners, so I'm like, anyone with a guitar, oh, six string applause machine. Whereas now <laughs> I'm like, boom, I'm a musical comedian, baby, full on. Like my new show is like full on, full on musical comedy. Um, so they tell me you should start rapping in your sets so i try it and it works really well it works really well like the crowd like it and then i as i said i started rising up through and getting headline spots way before i was ready like you know say you're headlining you got 30 minutes at a weekend club in the uk it's not usually as long a set as it is in america uh i would do like 25 minutes of jokes and then close with a rap and then it came quickly, apparent. I was like, oh no, I need to put a rap near the start as well, and then a rap at the end, because you want to establish, this is why I'm on at the end, do some jokes, and then when they get bored, do another rap, finish. Uh-huh. Um, and like being, the, I, I'm you know, I've been freestyle rapping for 19 years. I am a much better freestyle rapper than I am comedian, which I've done for 12 years. So, and also the fact is, when you freestyle rap as your closer, means you don't need a closer. So I mean, you don't have to write a routine that's so <laughs> barnstorming that you can leave on it. Um, oh, yeah. Like the rap is always like, if this gig's going badly, I'm just going to, you know, if someone heckled me, someone's like, rah, 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 I'd then just go drop a beat and just rap rap at them. <laughs> and it was amazing. Um, but yeah, it, it meant that, you know, it, detri- it was detrimental to my comedy ability, uh, which is, you know, is then something since then I've tried to work on more. Um, but yeah, that's, uh,
1: you know... So that's a that's interesting to know that you the origin of this is is kind of prop comedy. You you take these children, you take their toys, and then wrap through their perspective. The yeah. Let's not say that public. I take
3: children as toys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Stealing you children's take, toys. You take these children uh, and you take yeah. their toys. And I can,
1: I can see how it's evolved into its core its current form where you're you're taking suggestions from the audience and then really what you, your jokes end up being in the is, is callbacks almost. They they're, they're oh yeah they somebody had said that that's funny because he was able to navigate navigate his way to this next callback and uh and it's and it's great the way that it works and unfolds I think it's a good opportunity for us to play can I play the clip that we have loaded up
3: you you may I'll probably cringe through it because I hate Uh, myself
1: we always do Uh, I have a lot of fans that are on the on the show but the people a lot of people who may be listening may have never seen you uh so this might be their first introduction to you so let's get let's do it
3: people kind of this area here what do you want to wrap about Palm trees and tikis, thank you very much. Yeah, pretty tropical and cool. Well, someone over there really excited for that for no reason. How confusing, wow. Palm trees and tikis, I like it. Guys, go into the bathroom, did you say? Yeah, cool. Any particular aspect of that? Anything, cool. Go into the bathroom, palm trees and tikis. Uh, Back of the room, what do you want to rap about? Uh, Alcohol. Alcohol is very, very general. What did you say? Mexicans, okay, we'll combine it. Mexicans and alcohol. That seems. I don't know your racial stereotypes over here. I don't know. Uh, okay, so go into the bathroom. Palm trees and tiki's, alcohol and Mexicans. <gasps> what you say? What? Twerking and, Kanye. Twerking and Kanye. Not everything doesn't have to be an and in the middle, right? I feel like we've set this up. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. Twerking and Kanye. Tiki's and palm trees, alcohol and Mexicans going to the bathroom. Um, middle, middle front, what do you want to rap about? I mean, there's just a full conversation going on in the back over there. I think a white boy's about to rap. I think he is about to rap. Should we leave now? No, I think they've locked the doors. I think, I think we should probably stay. Yeah, we should probably stay. Front of the room, what do you want to rap about? Karaoke. Do you have a favorite song you like at karaoke? No. No? Do you not like karaoke? Why are you looking to the woman next to you? Why are you, you can enjoy things without your partner giving you approval. I mean, I used to enjoy it, and then all the joy was taken. Do you like karaoke? Yes. Yes, okay. It it feels like you just got kicked under the table there, just like, so yes. Cool. This man loves karaoke. So, suggestions: palm trees and tiki's, going to the bathroom, twerking and Kanye, Mexicans and alcohol. This man who loves karaoke. Uh, that's that's great. That's all we need. This is going to be a freestyle rap. That is a rap made up on the spot, based entirely on those suggestions. Never been written down. Never been rehearsed. Never to be seen again. And do not worry, it will not be anywhere near as atrociously bad as those women <laughs> were discussing it would be. So, uh, if we can drop that beat, my friend, let's do this.
4: Catch me on the sand on the beach. Got my hand on a glass and I see the palm tree. It's a tiki drink. Yeah, it comes from Hawaii. Trader Vic, Trader Mel. Yeah, they want to buy me a nice Mai Tai. Put the pineapple in. I like to put a little bit of sugar on the rim. Never that salt. It doesn't really please you. I like my tiki drink. Yeah, fuck a margarita. Made with tequila down low. Coming from that country, Mexico. I say it with an H and not with an X If you're in Oaxaca province, what happens next? You can take blue agave And when it swells, roast it in a little oven Make mezcal, tequila and mezcal When will they learn? One is crystal clear and the other's got a word Yeah, I will move on You know I'm gonna slay you Drunk like a Mexican on my I like that I put a lime in it So the flies don't get in it Till I am finished Next in, I am gonna go bes- I might bend over, let my backside twerk. Over to my right, who's this guy? I say, come on in, Mr. West, is Kanye seeing me. All the dance had display. Trying to wear the glasses with the slits on the shades. Did an album 10 years ago, my dark, twisted fantasy. And then, oh no, all his output lowered in quality. He was onto Jesus like, follow me. He did Sunday service at Coachella. It didn't go well like British weather, but still I like it when the backside claps. If I feel like I need a backside crap, where am I going to go? You might assume I just hobble to my left over to the bathroom. I'll be walking in. is Careful of the Diarrhea Someone squirted On the wall oh, I might be a Dreamer So I get a Wipe and I Act as the Cleaner Take it away While the boy Rapping I've got my Own beat No need for Your clapping That is okay Though I give it a Miss Why the men Stand so far Away when they Piss It doesn't Make sense You get the Drips on the Floor No lyrics Here like the Guy does door. He'd be like Come on guys Join my team We're gonna Go and sing work. Words that we read on a screen. Karaoke, it's the course for sure. What does it mean? Empty orchestra, translate Japanese. Yeah, I'm a smart guy. Let me stand up. Barbara Streisand, I is my song. I choose it from the booth. I spit the true lyrics, I spit the real truth. I'm always off pitch and I'm always off key, but I have fun when I've got that guy with me. Yeah. Oh, right, love it. <laughs> it's I so mean, interesting. I, yeah, I hate watching you're... myself
3: back. I don't rem- I, I don't watch my raps back once I've edited them. <laughs> With all, all all modesty here, I was watching that going, fuck, he's good, isn't he? Look at that. that. <laughs> I, genuinely, because the thing is, after a good rap, when you get off stage, you don't remember what you've said because it, it, you're purely piloting uh, subconsciously. Watching yeah. that back, I can see subconscious links that I wouldn't notice at the time. <clears throat> Cause Like it goes, some, someone's clapping in the audience, and I'm like, Oh, I don't, you know, I don't need rapping when I'm clapping, or you know, clapping when I'm rapping, I'll give it a miss. And then it links to why do guys start in so far away when they piss? <laughs> because my brain's gone, Well, they give they miss it, right? Um, the bit about over to my right is Mr. West, and obviously, you can't see anything, but like based on visualizing on the screen, like that would be West on a compass where I was pointing to. <laughs> I don't know, I'm just watching it back going, Oh, and the knowledge. The knowledge about Oaxaca province and mezcal because that's the thing. People say, "How do you do it?" I'm like, "I don't. I just have all this knowledge that I accumulate, and it, it it kind of spurts out like a geyser when I get to it. Like I couldn't recall that if you said, "What's the difference between tequila and mezcal?" Now you know I might be like, "I don't know." Ask me to do it in a rap, and I'll do everything I've ever learned about tequila and mezcal. Um, so as yeah. people are giving you all
2: those, I mean, clearly you're a very intelligent guy, and that's that's one of the secrets to your magical ability to kind of do this where probably most people don't have that ability to do, but what's going on in your head when you're getting all of the, uh,
3: suggestions, this is are the you most already common question? Are you uh, pinning no. them together? No, not you're, at all. You're, you're, um, you wait all I'm doing they- in that, all I'm doing in that moment is madly trying to remember them Yeah. because I'd say 30% <laughs> of the time I forget one of the suggestions and I know that, I know that I forget it and I'll just turn to the audience and while I'm rapping, I'll be I'll be like, hey, what was that last word? And they'll throw it in and then I'll jump on it. Uh, All I'm trying to do is remember, I, cause I don't actively use any memory techniques. Um, I uh, should keep that on the down low cause I'm giving a presentation for an educational conference in two weeks where I'm talking about how to improve your working memory. Um, I mean, I can tell people how to do it. I just don't use it myself. Um, so no, I'm, in that moment, what I'm trying to do is A, make that suggestion getting funny as well b remember a make it funny because it would be tedious if for three minutes i'm just like what's the suggestion no that's not good enough what's yours oh that's all right like hopefully watching that and people say this like i've I'd, I'd seen comments on my youtube videos people saying oh the, the rap starts at three minutes 30 and then people are comment going yeah but why don't you watch the setup it's funny and <laughs> I, I try and make my my kind of crowd work responses and riffing abilities good which comes from the improv and also practice I think that my, I think that my, my yeah. suggestion getting is entertaining, uh, and then yeah. you go into the rap. So, all I'm focusing on is how can I make this funny, and how can I remember things. I'm never prepping stuff because if you prep it, it's less surprising for you and less funny for the audience. Um, I describe it as not like chess, where you're thinking steps ahead when you're rapping. Uh, it's mm-hmm. like tennis. You you're <laughs> like ah, oh, I just have to hit the ball. And like you don't know what spin that ball will come back with you have to read that and hit it and then on to the next one you can't think five shots ahead because how could you predict that mm,
2: that's a good point and has it ever just i mean are there nights where it just falls off the rails and second just, and most and common
3: ends? question yeah uh, <laughs> um, uh i mean you know like in edinburgh there are shows that happen at one in the morning and you finish your show at 10 like i like to do my shows nine thirty, nine forty five at night um, so I'll come off stage, we've done at 11, I'll have some beers, then someone will say, hey, come do a spot at this gig, and I'll tell them, I'm mm. like, oh, you know, I'm a bit wrecked. And, like, That's fine. <laughs> and I'll do a rap when I'm drunk, and I've got recordings of rap when I'm drunk that, like, I'll I'll have done it, I'll thought it went well, the audience will have loved it, I'll watch it back, and I'm like, holy shit, that was weak. Um, <laughs> there are raps that I don't think are as good as my other ones. Like, tell, like I get that. Um, I get that. Like, how can they be a standard quality all the time that's the magic of it but I hope that they are all of a good enough quality that people don't think well that was disappointing you can't close the show with a weak freestyle um so like they're always good and the the benefit I have if people don't know what I do then they're like that was great and I'll be like oh thanks but you don't know how good it can be um not that I'll tell that to them and two if people do know what I do then usually they will give me suggestions and therefore those suggestions will be good. Like I've had people drive five hours to suggest ancient Sumerian cuneiform texts. And I'm like, great, that's that's brilliant. That's gonna be a really good rap. The, the suggestions often determine the quality of the rap. Mm-hmm. Um, so my people say, oh, does it lose its appeal once the people come to your show to see you doing it and they know you do it? I'm like, no, because the suggestions are always wild. Um, and when I say wild, I don't mean crazy, like the worst improv suggestions are the ones where they're like, oh, Harrison Ford getting an enema on Neptune, (laughs) and you're like, that's the worst suggestion ever. You should have just said Harrison Ford, and then we'd do a scene inspired by that. Um, you know, a funny suggestion is not a good suggestion. If you ever want to make a suggestion for me, then that's, that's the thing. Anyone listening? Yeah. Um, so it it usually works, usually works wonderfully. obviously there'll be some people who say oh I saw a shit one and especially you know six seven years ago I'm sure there were much more frequent worse ones because also you know as I've rapped more on stage I have got better at rapping now I would never say I am the best at rapping and flow like I've so long to go but like I've talked about this in podcasts before. I kind of created this weird intersection where I set the rules and like, well, when it comes to freestyle raps about anything and I never repeat the same suggestion twice and they have to be funny and they have to be informative and they have to be entertaining. I'm like, it's pretty hard for anyone else to do that. And that's what you should be doing as a performer. You should have your niche that no one else can do what you do. And therefore, you know, you're the best at that. Be, be the best at one very, very, very specific thing. And so, you know, I'm like, I'm not the best freestyle rapper. Maybe I'm the best British comedian who freestyle raps. Maybe <laughs> there are other people who do it. Um, so we'll, you
1: know, uh, is that, that's uh, I mean, that, that, finding your own kind of space in comedy is, is, is a great suggestion. Uh, one thing that you do is, is a common thing in comedy, which is crowd work. And you do it in in a, in a in a somewhat controlled way, but it's still pretty damn open ended. Uh, so I mean, that's had to have gone bad for you some, some and, and, at times. And you seem to have you, over time you weathered that and, and gotten tougher because of it. Uh, I mean, most comics. And do you kind of agree? Like, don't go into the crowd asking open-ended questions. Is that like a pretty good suggestion for newer comics? <laughs> one one thing
3: I hate is the the question that's a lead into a bit. And I'm sure people have complained about this before when people go, Oh, do we have any teachers in? Yeah. And then they'll, they get the response and they ignore it and they're like, Yeah, I teach. And (laughs) all you need to do is just say, I'm a teacher and then do your bit. Because so often people ask a question, the audience, someone will come back with an interesting answer and then they're like, Oh, cool, move on. Like, no, deal with that. (laughs) Because immediately we're like, Oh, why, why do you suck at comedy if you're like, if, if you're not good at crowd work, don't do crowd work. If you're not ready for any answer, don't ask a question that could give you any answer. Um, mm. Like there's always that thing where you ask a rhetorical question and someone responds and that's, you know, that's because audiences the drunk. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I'm not saying that every time I go to the audience, I'm gonna get big laughs. It's a requirement of what I do. I have to interact with the audience and therefore I, ha- I try and make it funny. And I've I've got an improv background where I could riff off people, but mm. the advice for riffing is just um, listen, like genuinely listen. Like I, I record a podcast with my wife and when I edit back, I'm like, oh fuck, clearly what happened? Like she'll say something interesting and you'll see that a second before I thought of a joke based on something she said half a sentence before. And so I'll miss what she says, then I'll do the joke and watch him back. I'm like, oh, what a piece of shit improviser I am. that I didn't listen to the <laughs> full thing. Like on the latest podcast, she said something like, oh, I I know a guy who has a pet wolf, but I've already thought of a joke from before. So I ignore the fact that she knows someone with a pet wolf to do a joke about, you know, whatever she said before. What a shit piece of shit person I am.
1: (laughs) That's that's super smart. You're the first person that's come on because we do a lot of talking. That's what we do on the show, writing. And then how do we how do we talk to audiences about it? But it's so critical to be listening and listening to how they're laughing how they're responding to your jokes it it, it can change your timing in certain things it might change the content like you mentioned earlier and so that's that's very sage advice
3: so much of crowd work is not being creative it's being acknowledging so in that clip Mm -hmm. for me the the funniest bit of the crowd work was when i just go there's two people at the back having a full-on conversation And the crowd go, oh, yeah, we noticed that as well. And then all you do, you don't have to be creative. You just do what you said they're doing, right? I don't do act outs in my crowd work and in my raps. Often I do, but as written material, I don't do act outs. I don't think I'm good at it. Because in an act out, you really have to make it seem like it's off the cuff. Like all stand-up should seem improvised, blah, 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 blah. But when you're doing crowd work, those people having a conversation just reenact their conversation. Didn't have to be funny. There was no point in that where I'm making a joke. I was just like, is that guy going to rap? I think he is going to rap. <laughs> should we leave? Yeah, we should leave. Oh, they've locked the doors. <laughs> You're just saying what the audience is thinking, which is, again, like, the, yeah, if someone if someone heckles you, you know, what led to them to make that heckle? Just put that back at them. Um, it's, you know, you don't need stock heckle put, down, put downs when you can just acknowledge what someone said. I mean, also my favorite heckle put down, not that I would do it at the Comedy and Magic Club, because it's kind of a clean club, although I did say fuck in that rap, which is pretty rare for me. Um, the And people comment on my YouTube videos like, wow, you're very sweary in this one. And I'm like, oh, it's because I'm in the UK. In the UK, I swear more often in everyday conversation because we're very sweary as people. Um, but I have forgotten what I was talking about. Um, yeah whatever I was talking about, assume that I answered it very intelligently. (laughs) I know, yeah. when someone heckles you, like my favorite put down, if you time it right, it's perfect. Because of me, because I'm a polite British man, if someone heckles, I just go, shut the fuck up and carry on. And it gets such a big laugh because the timing's right. And they're like, wow, where did that come from? Um, Doesn't work in the UK as much because people are like, yeah, that's what you would say. But that's also what the audience are thinking. If someone's being really disruptive and you go, Will you please be quiet? The audience just goes, "Yeah!" Someone finally said it.
1: The area around them is all tightened up, and they all want to say something, but yeah. they don't know how. And you've got the mic; you're the one person with the authority that can do it and yeah. do it like with the right timing. Uh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do our last segment. We warned you about it. Hold, hold on tight, Chris. There- I'm sorry. Okay, good. So <laughs> it's, uh, it's called Last Laugh. And the the way it works is you've got one joke uh, or one freestyle. It could be yours or somebody that, that you respect. Uh, it could be somebody else's that, that you can be remembered by on your tombstone. What is it?
3: Um. So mine would be... I think I would I think my catchphrase has just become no food, no animals, which is when I get suggestions, because if you don't do that, people (laughs) Uh, say dogs, pizza. So I think I'd maybe have to go with with that. Um, (laughs) However, my my wife genuinely has my favorite favorite one, um, which is she, she on her tombstone, she will have written few have suffered as she suffered. (laughs) <laughs> because like for us and the people who know her would go what she had a really privileged life she was great however in a few generations people would see that and go wow what a poor girl she must have had a really tough life and that's what she wants people to think of her that despite how tough everything is she's you know um and yeah i, I like i like that because there is that huge tradition in britain of funny tombstones at least uh and i think she found one um uh she found one that said something like you know here lies the most beautiful of souls and she's like oh wow you when she saw that she thought this person must have been lovely but she could just write that on the tombstone you could put whatever you want <laughs> and in a few generations no one will know they'll just go oh wow yeah M- miranda was a beautiful soul so yeah i i don't have a funny one you know there's jokes that i'm proud of that i know are in the public sphere um like jokes that have been texted back at me like oh that'd be a cool thing to have on your tombstone but no i think i think no food no animals would be my my little catchphrase uh and i know there might be people listening or watching who know me saying no your catchphrase is drop the beat good sir uh, ah. so maybe i could do some kind of fun thing with that uh but also you know you're dead does it matter i think as a younger man i had such an idea of legacy I thought, like, I want to be so famous and beloved that when I die, people are upset. And really, all that matters is that the people that care about you and love you will miss Mm -hmm. you. Right. That's the most important thing. Um, And it's the the huge the number of times I'll see the obituary of someone, someone who's like famous and you read it and then a week later, Mm -hmm. you don't think about it. It's like, oh, what's this whole foolish thing with legacy? Uh, You know, who are the people from the past that we remember? Uh, yeah, Marcus Aurelius, the great Stoic philosopher. Yeah, he was a fucking <laughs> Roman emperor. Of course, you remember him. You know, Napoleon, Hitler. More often than not, if you're remembered, you weren't a good person. So, yeah, if you really want to leave a legacy, go and become an autocrat in you know some kind of troubled nation. That's the only way you're going to do it. Uh, so yeah, I'm pretty I, sure I, on
2: Hitler's on Hitler's tombstone it does say uh, he dropped the beat, good sir. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's I think that's on uh, there.
1: Very good, very good. <laughs> so, so it sounds like you're you're, you're hunkering down in Colorado, uh, and your plan is to move to New York. Anything coming out or anything to look forward to uh, post pandemic?
3: Um, post pandemic, yeah. I mean, I've got I've got tour dates. I'm doing some stuff Thank in you. Europe in September. Uh, doing the Rep God kind of show, touring that around the UK. Doing ten dates in London that were postponed from last year, which I'm really excited about. Uh, hopefully that all happens. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I feel like, you know, it, the UK is kind of going to be working and functioning again because there's just, you know, we got a lot of vaccines and there's not as many people. It seems that mm-hmm. here as well. I, I think that in the fall things we should be able to do some shows. So, you know, I'm I'm hoping that places like the cellar will be open so we can go and do shows there. I'm hoping that, uh, you know, by the end of this year. Things are all good and we can get out there because that's that's the thing I've missed. People, you know, we do these Zoom shows. It's fun. Uh, I'm glad that I can do them. But the thing I loved about shows was after the show, not just the comics, but my big headed need for people to come up to me and say, Hi, can I get a photo? I love yeah. I love your raps. Yeah. And I, I really missed that. Um and I'm I'm hoping that, you know, on the tours we can get back to that. People can kind of, you know, be like, Hey, can I ask you some questions? And I'm always happy to answer questions if that person buys me a drink that's the main advice you know if you if you're like oh i want to chat to chris if you approach me with two pints and you have to give me one i'll be like brilliant thank you yes let's sit down and have a drink
1: you miss the fans holding beer i do I yeah. I yeah
3: i miss the free beverages and yeah. i miss feeling special
1: yeah uh, chris chris is a, it seems to be a portal into your world for dates other yeah. other things we can get from you so please check that out chris uh, thanks for doing it, man. Yeah, uh, just an incredible career and, uh, and and just such a unique talent that you bring to stage, uh, and and, and, it's, and really excited to watch you grow and and uh, I'm excited that you can get back out there once we can pass yeah. this pandemic. Well,
3: that's very kind of you to say. Thank you. It's been uh, it's been a, a tremendous yeah. amount of fun, and I say that because it's been eighty five percent me talking, about, and that is, <laughs> that's that's ri- really you know, as a stand up comedian, we are. I've spent. 12 years being on stage with the one who talks the whole time and i i like that a lot i like
2: it a lot you did an yeah, exactly.
1: hour exactly yeah uh cool we'll, we'll, well this will come out shortly uh stick with us next week we we have ed hill and jenny just the uh the back-to-back episodes but uh everybody's listening chris turner thanks for coming drew let's get on out of here yep
0: Thanks for listening to Breaking Down Bits. You can keep in touch or get more when you follow at Breaking Down Bits on social media. Visit the website BreakingDownBits.com or shoot us an email at BreakingDownBits at gmail.com.